This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, February 3rd, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And it, we're going to probably talk most of the show uh, about the coronavirus outbreak and what it might mean for investors because, you know, this is uh, the first of its, of its kind in a while. And we're going to talk about why that is and what the expected ramifications will be. And, you know, it's affecting world markets to some degree and pretty interesting today what, uh, what happened so let's calibrate some things and we're now into the second trading month of the year right this is the first trading day and as you would expect with a a pandemic in the most populous country in the world you have some volatility okay and these are the type of events that should wake you up, should wake you up to having a strategy that is tuned in, tuned into current market conditions as well as your risk tolerance levels because this has nothing to do, you know, it's not driven by economics. It can affect economics and will affect the economies of the world. But these are things that come out of nowhere and it's, not the only type of news event that can just come out of nowhere either. So we are here to help you refine your strategy, refine your decision-making process, and hopefully smooth out the ride and the path towards becoming financially independent. I'm Justin Klein. I hope you'll call me in this hour and throughout this Invest Talk radio program and podcast and my company, KP Financial, I can help you become a better investor. Now, one way Steve Pease and I are able to do this is through our implementation of the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. This isn't CNBC. This isn't Fox News. This isn't MSNBC. This is balanced, unbiased, right? And that's our goal here each and every day is to dispense ideas, thought processes that are balanced, that understand the pros and cons of everything. Because guess what? Everything comes with pros and cons. Every single thing you can even imagine. Now our phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART, 888 I'm, I'm here and ready to answer your investing and finance related questions. Now, it's official. Steve Peasley has reserved Thursday, February 27th, for his next visit to San Jose. These, this is an opportunity to sit down with him for no cost, no obligation, personalized portfolio review consultations. It's all about helping you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And I know I booked our first appointment, his first appointment, excuse me, at 9.30 a.m., so that one's full uh, I did that today. I think we just had a request for a noon appointment as well. So he has a couple of slots open. I think three left. So if you want to meet with him, 
click on the portfolio review page on investtalk.com. Now my main talking point today concerns the report only one generation is less prepared for retirement than they were two years ago, and that's Generation X. We're going to talk about why that is. Also, what is the stock market missing about the coronavirus? We're going to touch on what the potential ramifications of this pandemic will be, as well as looking at it compared to previous pandemics. And I'm going to give you my sense of what this is based on the data that we have so far. Now, it's flawed data. It's coming out of China. But nonetheless, I think it's important to go over. And then central bank money printing, you know, it's pushed stocks back up. Since uh, the Fed implemented QE in September, QE4, shall I say. And the question is, how much longer will that last? So we're going to try to, to make that, uh, that guess at least. And then 5G. 5G technology, there's a lot of touting about how great it's going to be. Uh, how, how much, you know, what, what does it really mean? What does the path mean for society as well as for companies? And if we have time, we'll get to that as well. So that's what's on my mind today. Real quickly, market was up modestly uh, and oddly <laughs> because of the pandemic in China. So um, we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But let's go to Brian in San Francisco. He's looking at a Shake Shack. How are you doing, Brian? Good. How are you? Doing well. You're looking at Shake Shack. This is uh, for everyone out there. This they operate 208 shacks in 26 states and 13 countries, offering burgers, hot dogs, fries, shakes, and other items. Started in Central Park in New York City. Starting to expand. 2.5 billion dollar market cap. Revenue growing at about 30 percent year over year. Earnings are slowing down and actually expected to be negative uh, growth for 2019 and 2020. And that's why the stock has faltered from a 52-week high of $105 a share now down to 68 Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it. And I wanted to okay. hear your uh, take on the fundamentals and whether or not uh, you think it might be a good buy in the future. Well, the... Fundamentals from a balance sheet perspective all look pretty solid, right? They have very little debt. I like that. So there's some room for them to to utilize their balance sheet to expand or you know maybe make strategic acquisitions, things like that. So that's certainly a, a positive, and I like that. Uh, but the problem here is that it is priced like a growth stock, like a growth stock, right? Enterprise value to EBIT is about thirty two and a half. That's pretty high. Uh, and while revenue grew 31% year over year last quarter, earnings were, over the last four quarters, have been fairly mixed. And earnings this year is supposed to be down 8% from last year. So earnings growth has certainly sputtered. Um, so from a valuation standpoint, it's still expensive. Uh, even though it's come down pretty dramatically, Based on cash flows, which you know, operating free cash flow is negative, trailing twelve months. Operating cash flow of about ninety-six million on a market cap of two billion, still a little expensive. Um, no dividend here, so to me, this needs to come down a little bit more to be a value. Now, once again, 
fundamentals mean can mean very different things. We're talking about valuation, or you're talking about balance sheet. And balance sheet and its profitability metrics overall, they're pretty solid. However, you're paying a lot of money for very little earnings and cash flow growth. So I wouldn't buy it yet. It's not cheap enough for me. This would need to get down into the low 40s for me to look at it as a decent value. Sound good, Brian? Yeah, can you hear me? Um, a lot of people are seeing yep. their growth and they're like mm -hmm. thinking that it might be the next Chipotle sort of deal. So I think that might be mm -hmm. why why it's gone run up so high, and maybe it's not. Maybe that's why it's running back down. So thank you. Well, I think yeah, no problem. I think I think the big difference here is that Shake Shack is just burgers and fries. It's nothing kind of new, and there's a billion competitors, right? Whereas Chipotle, there's not really that fast, quick ch other chain of Mexican food out there, um, and it doesn't have. I think the the, the, the same leadership and brand cachet as Chipotle. So, uh, uh, and the profitability metrics are way worse than a Chipotle. So I would not compare it with uh, Chipotle. I don't think it's on that level. This is Invest Talk, streaming live Monday through Friday in the four o'clock Pacific time hour and available for free download as a condensed podcast. You can browse at investtalk.com by topic and you can also download, review, and rate the Invest Talk podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart It's an Invest Talk Monday. Super Bowl 54 is in the record books. The markets opened as usual, and investors were back at work. The conversation now is all about building your financial freedom. Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, let's dig in a little bit to this coronavirus topic because it's probably at the forefront of should be the biggest worries for uh, the world right now, uh, as well as markets, right? Because there there will be and has been some great ramifications economically so far. Now, the first confirmed human-to-human -human infection was only on January 20th. So we're only a couple weeks into this thing. And you've seen some nasty effects from the market as a whole and you've seen China, China down uh, about, let's see, what are they down now, 15% or so? Taiwan's down 6%, South Korea's down 9%, the China's ETF, that's what it is, the China ETF down 11%, US airline sector off 7%, oil prices down about 13%. So clearly this is having an impact on markets. The odds of a Fed rate cut by June have moved from 15% before this happened to 60%. Not certainly pricing it in yet, but a much better chance than just a couple weeks ago. So there has been 
some big effects here. And some voices have expressed the opinion that this is more like the flu and that there's no need to panic. And while I agree there's no need to panic, I, I do think this is starting to rise to the level of very worrisome. Uh, and the big reason is because we haven't seen this type of virus that can lay dormant in people for 10, 15 days before any symptoms happen. And they're going around, spreading it uh, in an airborne way to other people. And that's the biggest problem here. Uh, SARS, for example, back in 2002, if it was only infectious if they had a fever, right? And that made it pretty easy to contain. They had a fever, you quarantine them, treat them, get them, get their body to cure themselves, or unfortunately some maybe passed away, a small percentage, but some did, and you could contain it in that way. Uh, and the biggest problem here is that it's extremely hard to quarantine everybody that is infected because of the lack of potential symptoms. Now, there are a lot of numbers coming out of China. And as of today, they've confirmed 17,200 cases with a death toll of about 361. Now, a lot of people think that's too low. That number is incorrect. It's more like 75,000 or 100,000. But it's hard to know, right? China numbers are notoriously way off. And it's also hard to know how quickly this is spreading because of those inconsistency of numbers. It's hard to know the death rate toll because... They said 361 people have died, but how long on average had those people had it, right? Have they had it for a week, five days? It's hard to know. So I'm gonna dig into this after this break a little bit more, because I think it is very important to understand how, what this looks like in comparison to previous outbreaks. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and it's official. Steve Peasley has reserved Thursday, February 27th, for his next visit to San Jose. This is your opportunity to get a no cost, no obligation, and personalized portfolio review consultation. It's all about helping you achieve financial freedom. San Jose, February 27th. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Let's go to Sadars in North Carolina looking at Uber. Yes, Justin, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. You own Uber, looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy. Okay. Uh, and, and what just is it just simply based right on its growth? Or... What was that? Sorry. 
just wanted to know the uh, right time and the position i mean is it the still the good uh, time to buy uber okay well uber it recently ipo was it last year yeah early last year and it's certainly down from its uh, ipo price but it's starting to rebound from a low of 2558 was 52 week low now we're at 37 52 week high is 47 so we're about the midpoint of its range since it went public. No dividend, lost $6.54 a share last year and expected to lose $2.31 a share this year, which, you know, if you are to believe that it will eventually move out of its loss-making operations and write the ship into something very profitable. And you would think this is a name that should be able to scale itself, right? The the number of rides it gives should take a commission off of that and that should be that. Um, now there's some a lot of pressure around what type of employees do they have, right? What are Uber drivers? Are they 1099 or are they W2? Are they some in-between? It's hard to know. Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure there from governments on where that's uh, going to head and certainly something to watch. Um, now, technically, it's starting to look a lot stronger. A lot of this has to do with you know the Fed re reprinting, re starting to print money again. This is, has been breathed life into the growth side of the market. And Uber is certainly one of them with revenue growth kind of in the 30% range last quarter. Um, you know... This is a very high risk name, extremely high risk because of their poor financial position. They don't have nearly close to profitability yet. Uh, and I think we have a little time now. Is, is there a path? I'm sure there is. Uh, but with Lyft and, you know, like I said, the, the issues with how they treat their employees, it's hard to see that path right now. Um, so I wouldn't own it. I don't like it. But... You know, if they do find a path to profitability, this is a name that I do think has a lot of upside. I'm just not seeing it at the moment. So that's my take. Very high risk. Not a, I'm not a fan of it, but if you're a high risk investor, this is probably a good name for you. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899-4278. Now going back to the coronavirus, we talked a little bit about the number of cases in China and the death toll. And the Philippines reported its first death yesterday outside of China, so that's uh, that's kind of rough. And 27 countries have now confirmed cases, and 20 in Japan, 11 here in the United States, including one here in Orange County, one in L.A., uh, and a few scattered around the country. I think New Jersey, New York has a couple. So it's spreading, but and that's the bad thing. It's, it does continue to spread. The good thing is that it's fairly limited outside of China. And a lot of airlines have stopped operations to China. And if we're going to see this slow down outside of China, you're going to need to see these cases start to level off fairly soon. Now there is an infectious rate to this thing that is a little worrisome, okay? 
Uh, and there's uh, something called the R0 value, which is basically how many people does the average person who's infected with it spread it to, right? So the seasonal flu is about 1.2-ish. So it means for every person who gets the flu, they're going to spread it to 1.2 people, right? Uh, and the higher that number is, the worse off you, you, you're going to see and the faster this thing is going to spread. Now, based on the numbers out of China, you're seeing an R0 around 2 for this, which is, is pretty bad. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's not detectable for a lot of people, especially young people. There, it's been shown there are very young people that have tested positive but show no symptoms, right? So they're out there potentially spreading it without showing any symptoms at all. Now, the that, that's that's the bad thing. The good thing is that the death toll rate right now, what we see is very low, especially people under the age of, say, 40. Okay, It seems the only, the, the youngest death, I think it was 38 maybe, uh, from what I've seen. So most of the people who are dying from this are 60, 70, 80 plus, right? Um, so, and usually have some other pre-existing condition that, causes them to be more susceptible to this. And that's that's probably the biggest worry here. So it's, it is something you should be concerned about, not panicked about, but concerned and taking a little bit extra precaution to stay cleaner, to, um, you know, to wash your hands, using hand sanitizer, things like that can be very important. I'm Justin Klein, I'm ready to take your questions now at 888-99-CHART. From sunrise to sunset. Have a question about gold and silver. From dusk till dawn. So I'm wondering what y'all think. The questions keep coming. I have a question about symbol STLD. From down the street, around the corner, and across the country. Hello, uh, Steve Justin uh, Milani here from Bay Area. This is Curtis from Alabama. Hi, Steve. This is Gary from Massachusetts. Invest Talk listeners have one objective financial freedom your opinion on costco how they get there and when they get there is up to them i have started investing but steve peasley and justin klein can help improve their strategy with unbiased investing guidance i really enjoy the podcast i think i'm finally starting to understand the the language and what to look for thank you very much listen live or download the podcast investtalk.com This is Invest Talk. We're in a new year and the markets have already shown some volatility, but you can remain calm. Justin Klein is here, ready to answer your questions and provide his unbiased investing guidance. The phone lines are open, so call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey fellas, calling in, curious about the put call and the put call ratio, specifically if you could elaborate explain um, a little more towards what those two are and then what the ratio involves with the stock. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks. Keep up the good work. All right. Put call ratio is fairly simple. Uh, how many puts are being out there being written or purchased versus calls? And <clears throat> most people look at the VIX as a, a measure of that. 
Uh, and so basically, when the number of puts that are being out there in the market, being purchased out there in the market, uh, goes up versus the number of calls, that put call ratio rises, right? And that typically means that more people are out there buying portfolio insurance of some kind. That's what you're doing when you're typically buying a put is you're buying insurance. Or sometimes you could be betting on stocks declining. But either way, it's about people either protecting to the downside or betting on the downside in the market. So when the put call ratio rises, there's more interest in that, in that side of the market. Versus when it falls and the VIX is very low, uh, people are pretty complacent and not a lot of people are buying insurance or betting on the downside of the market. They're, they're not worried, basically. And that's what the put call ratio is measuring. When it spikes up so high back to you know certain levels that uh, you've seen from previous bottoms, it can be a, a contrary indicator that everybody is freaked out, worried about the downside of the market, and therefore the market should bottom. So that's typically what it's used for. It's probably overused today versus what it has in the past been, right? As an indicator gets more and more popular, it tends to lose its effectiveness. Right? So just be aware of that. It's something to use. It's a, it's a tool. It's always interesting to look at. But as with anything, it's not the end-all, be-all, holy grail of any trading strategy. Now, my main talking point today concerns the report that only one generation is less prepared than Generation X. So what can financially strapped Gen Xers do to get on track? And this is coming from a report on Thursday from Fidelity Investments. They released their biannual retirement savings assessment, which looked at how ready Americans are to retire. So they do this every two years. Now, the average American saver has improved its position from 15 years ago from about 62% of their income needs being fulfilled for based on their current savings to 83% today. And the main reason is because investors are saving more than they had in the past. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with more data out there, being financially uh, savvy. Uh, also, the, most employers auto opt in people, employees into their 401k. So means they have to opt out of it as opposed to opt in. And typically that gets more people to invest. Now, Fidelity surveyed 3,000 working households, and they looked at workplace as well as individual savings accounts, Social Security benefits, pension benefits, inheritance, home equity, as well as business ownership as well. Now, one generation, only one generation, that Gen X, saw their, saw their scores fall over the past couple of years. And this is the 39 to 54 age range. Only, they only have 80% of their income they need to retire based on current savings amounts. And that's down from 83% just a couple of years ago. 
Boomers scored 87%. Millennials scored 82%. Now, remember, this doesn't have to, anything to do with the savings trajectory, but the amount they have saved today. And the big reason is because boomers are and millennials are saving about 10% of their income, whereas Gen X are only putting away about 8% on average. Now, Gen Xers typically have more responsibility, right? They have mortgage debt, more mortgage debt than millennials or boomers. They have higher personal debt on average than boomers and millennials. So that's part of probably the big reason. They've just taken on too much debt. And that interest is, you know, their, their interest cost is a lot higher than the millennial boomer generation, which forces or forces them to save less. Now, what can you do? Well, I think the best way to go about it is reduce debt as quickly as possible. Adjust your savings rate up and add to your 401k. Maybe do a catch-up contribution if you're over the age of 50. Things like that. So I thought that was interesting to see that you know, it's not the millennials, it's not the boomers that are behind and dragging our national savings rate down. It's actually the Gen Xers. Now, as you probably noticed, even I like to introduce caller questions. So here's one that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Jay Clark calling from the Chicago Land. Um, had a question about a couple stocks today. JKS in the solar world, and then DT, which is in the cloud space. Two stocks that, from my own evaluations and <laughs> my light experience, I really like them um, as far as their financials, down to the price, down to where they're at in their price history, as well as their profits, et cetera. If you guys could dive into those two, really love to hear your opinions on them. Thank you, and look forward to the show. All right, the first one is Jinko Solar. JKS is the symbol. This is a company whose growth has slowed dramatically over the last couple quarters, was growing its earnings 19% three years ago, as well as earnings up 140%. And then last quarter, only up 8% on the revenue side and 8% on the earnings side. But once again, this is a Chinese company. So how much do I really trust their numbers? Now, the answer is I really don't. And the stock chart has been gyrating up and down since 2010 when it went public uh, between $3 and $30, and now we're kind of in the middle at $20. So, you know, I don't love this name. I don't like the inconsistency of its profits, as well as the fact that it comes out of China, and I don't really trust the numbers. So, I'm going to pass on Jinko. And the other one is DT Dynatrace, develop software intelligence platforms to allow customers to modernize and automate operations. I like that space, like the cloud space, earnings up 900% last quarter. Now that's only up to 10% from, or sorry, 10 cents a share from one cent a share. So you can see where that big profit increase came from. Earnings in 2020 are supposed to be 28 cents a share, 35 cents a share next year. And this is a $30 stock. So you're talking about 100 PE ratio there. That's a little expensive. Let me dig into the numbers a little bit. $8.5 billion market cap, very modest dividend, or not dividend, modest debt, no dividend. 
and its financial numbers are pretty poor. I'm not sure I like that. I do like the space. I do like the space. I would really need to un these type of names, these cloud names, are a lot of people are lumping cloud names into one basket, and I think that's hard to do because there are clearly going to be winners and losers out of the cloud space, software space. And some are going to have great retention rates, and that's really what it's all about. That's one reason why now, like ServiceNow, is one of the one of the best cloud stocks when it comes to financial performance because it has high retention rates. Uh, what are the retention rates of Dynatrace? I think are are very very important to to look at. Um, so I don't know uh, that off the top of my head, but I do like the space overall and I like the trajectory of the business but it's a little expensive at let's see what's the what are the multiples here talking enterprise value to EBITDA or to revenue time 18 that's very very expensive still losing money on a trailing 12 month basis uh, you know I really need to understand the path to profitability here it's a uh, it's retention rate like I said but the chart is strong and so technically you could buy it and have a trailing stop on it and let it grow into this growth. And it's going to need to maintain pretty massive growth and get to profitability rather, rather soon. Otherwise, you're going to be very, very disappointed. But I like the space. I'm Justin Klein. You listen to Invest Talk, and you are in good company. Now, our podcast server keeps great statistics, and it shows that 450,000 people download. The Invest Talk podcast each month. And in fact, we are now past the 20 million download mark in the history of Invest Talk. So, Steve and I thank you for your loyal support. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and our website, investtalk.com. And of course, you can call our KP Financial Office in Irvine, California whenever you have a question. We would love to help you at 800 557 5461. We want to help. But for now, our phone lines are open at InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial. If, to any degree, you are unsure about the consistency of your skill set with regard to managing your portfolio, now may be a smart time for you to ask KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein for individualized guidance. You can start with a no-obligation phone call to the KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California, or send Steve and Justin a message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at B&G Foods. Hi, Justin. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I bought B&G Foods uh, uh, a few months ago, uh, um, probably maybe six months. It was uh, for seventeen fifty a share. Uh, got a pretty good sized position, but it uh, hasn't shown a lot of strength, and it's uh, down into the fifteen dollar uh, share area. And so, would that be a good time to maybe add, if, uh, add some more to my position at that level? you think that would be a good thing to do? Well, I think my first question is, what percentage of your overall portfolio is B&G Foods? 
Oh, it's not the it's not a huge position, and I'm not too concerned about that part myself. But I know if you were managing okay, my it, account, you probably would. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was just thought to see if you thought it still had uh, some good potential and be a good buying opportunity down at this level. Yeah, I mean, I do think it is uh, a good value uh, down at these levels. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA uh, is about thirteen, uh, which you know isn't isn't super low, um, but it's a business that still has nice positive cash flow. It does have uh, a pretty high debt. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that dividend to be maintained uh, in the long term. So don't think you're going to get about twelve percent dividend. I do think that will get cut, and I think that's been a, a little bit priced into the stock at these levels. So uh, I expect that to be cut probably in half, maybe a little bit more. So just be aware of that, that 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 12% dividend is not likely to be maintained with their their uh, their balance sheet position. So uh, I would certainly plan on that. Um, now, I do think it is a good long-term value at these levels. The problem is that it's a value name, right? And with the Federal Reserve money printing, the money has gone back into growth stocks. And you know, this started to get a little traction back in September, right? It rallied a little bit, uh, rallied into the close of the year, but it's kind of fallen off uh, since. And so yeah. unless value Somebody, gets a resurgence, I think it's going to meander. Yeah, some of the analysts, most of the analysts aren't uh, – enthusiastic about it they're kind of neutral to you know uh yeah i mean it's it's not it's not it's not an exciting company it's not an exciting company right they they it's a pack it's not an exciting company they they uh manufacture packaged foods uh which is an exciting space isn't a uh a bellwether of the business community at the moment because it's kind of old and and boring and it's Frankly, it is being hurt with the retail space in general. So, um, you know, revenues are down four percent year over year. Earnings down five percent year over year, but it's trading at a P of nine. So, uh, and but long term, its return on equity and profitability uh, remains relatively strong. Uh, and I think they'll dig themselves out of this, and I think they have strong management and good cash flows. So, I think they'll get out of it. But don't expect this to turn out turn around until the value space gets a resurgence. And as long as the Fed is printing $100 billion a month, uh, you know I think growth is going to be the name of the game at least for a little while longer. Thanks for the call, Noel. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's touch on, you know, it's just talked about central banks uh, and printing money. And with the coronavirus, China has cut its reverse repo rates and injected a lot of liquidity into their system. And while it didn't help Chinese stock markets, it actually helped our markets today, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting. And with the coronavirus problem, you should have seen or should see a retrace of the previous highs from late last year, right? That breakout zone that we fought for most of last year. And I think we eventually get there. Uh, especially if this coronavirus thing drags out for a few more weeks, which I think it likely will. So just a heads up there. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break, going into our last segment at 888 chart.
On the next Invest Talk, this story. Back in 1981, 10-year Treasury bills paid an interest rate of 16%. But today, they are around 2%. One economist's opinion says low interest rates are the economy's unsung hero. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, this is Evan in Nashville. I have a question on best place to park some excess cash on a short-term basis. I currently put it in a high-yield savings account that gets around 1.5%. Would I be better served to put that into an ultra-short bond fund, or is there a different investment option? I'm getting married in the near future and like some liquidity in case of a home purchase or market downturn to purchase some stocks on a watch list. I already matched my 401k and maxed out the HSA and IRA. Thanks. Look forward to hearing from you and really appreciate what all you all do. All right. Uh, I think the the answer is no, probably not. Um, you know, there are some good high yield money markets out there. Uh, I think Marcus yields 1.7, 1.8 right now. Uh, Ally Bank, those type of things. I mean, you have to be weary. Uh, make sure that they're FDIC insured. Making sure that they're easy to get their money out. I know a lot of them are difficult to get their money out of, and that is a big problem. Uh, the, that's a problem with um, with these type of uh, vehicles sometimes is you're chasing yield for the the convenience of uh, getting your money out, right? Or lack of convenience, shall I say. So just make sure that you find ones that are very liquid and you can take your money out of, okay? So hold on one second. All right, I'm back. A little distraction there. All right, uh, let's go to our last talking point, which is about 5G. Now, 5G, it's got a lot of hype, right? And it talks about the massive speed that you're going to get from 5G, and some people view it as a matter of national security, the growth and implementation of 5G in our economy. The problem is, just like most great technological advances, that are touted, they typically take longer than most expected. Usually double to triple the amount of time it takes. Why? Uh, because the full implementation of these technologies often simply are more difficult in reality than they want you to believe, right? Elon Musk is a good example, right? The, the hype, hype, uh, Hyperloop, right? How long have we talking about Hyperloop? Just the logistics of underground tunnels are very difficult. Just like the deployment of 5G is going to take many, many years. Why? Because you it will only last over a short distance. And so you need a lot of more points to transmit the, these signals than you do with, say, 4G. And Remember, 5G isn't just this one thing. It isn't, okay, one day I'm at 4G, the next day I'm at 5G. It's a variety of different technologies, a family of technologies, shall we say, and that can cover a variety of networks. And so the technical standards of what actually 5G actually is is still not set in stone. One example is I know AT&T calls something, I think I get it sometimes, says 5GE. 
Well, it's just more like four and a half G, or you know, it's a little faster than four G. But they call it five G. Verizon actually sued them over it. So there's no magic moment when suddenly a nation or a carrier has five G. Just like with four G, there was a period of time where there was kind of going back and forth. Sometimes you're on 4G, sometimes you're on LTE, sometimes you're on 3G. It kind of was all over the place. Now we've solidified our 4G network uh, across most carriers and across the country. But how long did it take? Close to a decade, right? Maybe five, seven years since 4G started coming, coming out. And we're still not all the way there. So 5G, well, will be important. I think it's going to take even longer than previous generations because of those number of points that it's going to take to transmit, to, to install so you can transmit at those particular speeds. And another thing is that a lot of those high speeds that the 5G is being touted as only happen in certain perfect situations, right? If you're not going through a wall or through foliage or other factors like weather, you know, those faster speeds require a very certain set of circumstances. So just be aware, it's going to take a little time between five before 5G actually becomes a real thing here in the United States or worldwide. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I return on Thursday. Now, please remember, you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.